Welcome to Just Listen, a celebration of literature from Nashville Public Library. For more stories and poetry, visit our website at library.nashville.org. Please feel free to leave a comment or to make requests or recommendations. And now, for today's selection. We continue today with part two of our romantic poetry adventure with Poetry Panoply 2, which contains the following poems. Elegy Written in a Country Churchyard by Thomas Gray Ode on Melancholy by John Keats From Endymion by John Keats Ode on Indolence by John Keats The Solitary Reaper by William Wordsworth London by William Blake Dejection an Ode by Samuel Taylor Coleridge and Kubla Khan by Samuel Taylor Coleridge Poetry Panoply 2 We begin Elegy Written in a Country Churchyard by Thomas Gray The curfew tolls the knell of parting day. The lowing herd winds slowly o'er the lee. The plowman homeward plods his weary way and leaves the world to darkness and to me. Now fades the glimmering landscape on the sight, and all the air a solemn stillness holds, save where the beetle wheels his droning flight and drowsy tinklings lull the distant folds. Save that from yonder ivy-mantled tower the moping owl does to the moon complain of such, as wandering near her secret bower molest her ancient solitary reign. Beneath those rugged elms that yew-trees shade, where heaves the turf in many a mouldering heap, each in his narrow cell forever laid, the rude forefathers of the hamlet sleep. The breezy call of the incense-breathing morn the swallow twittering from the straw-built shed, the cock's shrill clarion or the echoing horn, no more shall rouse them from their lowly bed. For them no more the blazing hearth shall burn, or busy housewife ply her evening care, no children run to lisp their sire's return, or climb his knees the envied kiss to share. Oft did the harvest to their sickle yield, their furrow oft the stubborn glebe has broke. How jocund did they drive their team afield! How bowed the woods beneath their sturdy stroke! Let not ambition mock their useful toil, their homely joys, and destiny obscure, nor grandeur here with a disdainful smile the short and simple annals of the poor. The boast of heraldry, the pomp of power, and all that beauty, all that wealth e'er gave, awaits alike the inevitable hour. The paths of glory lead but to the grave. Nor you, ye proud, impute to these the fault if memory o'er their tomb no trophies raise, where through the long-drawn aisle and fretted vault the pealing anthem swells the note of praise. Can storied urn or animated bust back to its mansion call the fleeting breath? Can honor's voice provoke the silent dust or flattery soothe the dull, cold ear of death? Perhaps in this neglected spot is laid some heart once pregnant with celestial fire, 
hands that the rod of empire might have swayed, or waked to ecstasy the living lyre. But knowledge to their eyes her ample page, rich with the spoils of time, did ne'er unroll. Chill penury repressed their noble rage, and froze the genial current of the soul. Full many a gem of purest ray serene, the dark unfathomed caves of ocean bear. Full many a flower is born to blush unseen, and waste its sweetness on the desert air. Some village Hampton, that with dauntless breast the little tyrant of his fields withstood, some mute inglorious Milton here may rest, some Cromwell guiltless of his country's blood. The applause of listening senates to command, the threats of pain and ruin to despise, to scatter plenty over a smiling land, and read their history in a nation's eyes. Their lot forbade, nor circumscribed alone their growing virtues, but their crimes confined, forbade to wade through slaughter to a throne, and shut the gates of mercy on mankind. The struggling pangs of conscious truth to hide, to quench the blushes of ingenuous shame, or heap the shrine of luxury and pride with incense kindled at the muse's flame. Far from the madding crowd's ignoble strife, their sober wishes never learned to stray. Along the cool, sequestered vale of life they kept the noiseless tenor of their way. Yet even those bones from insult to protect, some frail memorial still erected nigh, with uncouth rhymes and shapeless sculpture decked, implores the passing tribute of a sigh. Their name, their years, spelt by the unlettered muse, the place of fame and elegy supply, and many a holy text around she strews that teach the rustic moralist to die. For who to dumb forgetfulness a prey, this pleasing anxious being e'er resigned, left the warm precincts of the cheerful day, nor cast one longing, lingering look behind. On some fond breast the parting soul relies, some pious drops the closing eye requires. Even from the tomb the voice of nature cries, even in our ashes live their wonted fires. For thee, who mindful of the unhonored dead, dost in these lines their artless tale relate, if chance, by lonely contemplation led, some kindred spirit shall inquire thy fate, haply some hoary-headed swain may say, Oft have we seen him at the peep of dawn, brushing with hasty steps the dews away to meet the sun upon the upland lawn. There at the foot of yonder nodding beech that wreathes its old fantastic roots so high, his listless length at noontime would he stretch and pour upon the brook that babbles by. Hard by yon wood, now smiling as in scorn, muttering his wayward fancies he would rove, now drooping, woeful wan, like one forlorn, or crazed with care, or crossed in hopeless love. One morn I missed him on the customed hill, along the heath and near his favorite tree. Another came, nor yet beside the rill, nor up the lawn, nor at the wood was he. The next with dirges due in sad array, slow through the churchway path we saw him borne. Approach and read, for thou canst read, the lay, graved on the stone beneath yon aged thorn. The Epitaph 
Here rests his head upon the lap of earth, a youth to fortune and to fame unknown. Fair science frowned not on his humble birth, and melancholy marked him for her own. Large was his bounty, and his soul sincere. Heaven did a recompense as largely send. He gave to misery all he had, a tear. He gained from heaven, t'was all he wished, a friend. No farther seek his merits to disclose, or draw his frailties from their dread abode. There they alike in trembling hope repose, the bosom of his father and his God. Ode on Melancholy by John Keats No, no, go not to Lethe, neither twist wolfsbane tight-rooted for its poisonous wine, nor suffer thy pale forehead to be kissed by nightshade, ruby grape of Proserpine. Make not your rosary of yew-berries, nor let the beetle, nor the death-moth be your mournful psyche, nor the downy owl a partner in your sorrow's mysteries. For shade to shade will come too drowsily and drown the wakeful anguish of the soul. But when the melancholy fit shall fall sudden from heaven like a weeping cloud that fosters the droop-headed flowers all and hides the green hill in an April shroud, then glut thy sorrow on a morning rose or on the rainbow of the salt sand wave or on the wealth of globed peonies, or if thy mistress some rich anger shows, imprison her soft hand and let her rave and feed deep, deep upon her peerless eyes. She dwells with beauty, beauty that must die, and joy whose hand is ever at his lips bidding adieu, and aching pleasure nigh, turning to poison while the bee-mouth sips. I in the very temple of delight veiled melancholy has her sovereign shrine, though seen of none save him whose strenuous tongue can burst joy's grape against his palate fine. His soul shalt taste the sadness of her might, and be among her cloudy trophies hung. From Endymion by John Keats Book One A thing of beauty is a joy forever. Its loveliness increases. It will never pass into nothingness, but still will keep a bower quiet for us and a sleep full of sweet dreams and health and quiet breathing. Therefore, on every morrow, are we wreathing a flowering band to bind us to the earth? Spite of despondence, of the inhuman dearth of noble natures, of the gloomy days, of all the unhealthy and o'er-darkened ways made for our searching, yes, in spite of all, some shape of beauty moves away the pall from our dark spirits. Such the sun, the moon, trees old and young, sprouting a shady boon for simple sheep, and such are daffodils with the green world they live in, and clear rills that for themselves a cooling covert make against the hot season. The mid-forest brake, rich with a sprinkling of fair musk-rose blooms, and such too is the grandeur of the dooms we have imagined for the mighty dead. All lovely tales that we have heard or read, 
an endless fountain of immortal drink pouring unto us from the heaven's brink. Nor do we merely feel these essences for one short hour. No, even as the trees that whisper round a temple become soon dear as the temple's self, so does the moon, the passion poesy, glories infinite, haunt us till they become a cheering light unto our souls, and bound to us so fast, that whether there be shine or gloom or cast, they always must be with us, or we die. Therefore tis with full happiness that I will trace the story of Endymion. The very music of the name has gone into my being, and each pleasant scene is growing fresh before me as the green of our own valleys. So I will begin now while I cannot hear the city's din, now while the early budders are just new, and run in mazes of the youngest hue about old forests, while the willow trails its delicate amber, and the dairy pails bring home increase of milk. And as the year grows lush in juicy stalks, I'll smoothly steer my little boat for many quiet hours with streams that deepen freshly into bowers. Many and many a verse I hope to write before the daisies, vermeil-rimmed and white, hide in deep herbage. And yet here the bees hum about globes of clover and sweet peas. I must be near the middle of my story. Oh, may no wintry season bare and hoary see it half-finished, but let autumn bold, with universal tinge of sober gold, be all about me when I make an end. And now, at once adventuresome, I send my herald thought into a wilderness. There let its trumpets blow, and quickly dress my uncertain path with green, that I may speed easily onward, through flowers and weed. Ode on Indolence by John Keats They toil not, neither do they spin. One morn before me were three figures seen, with bowed necks and jointed hands side-faced, and one behind the other stepped serene in placid sandals and in white robes graced. They passed like figures on a marble urn, when shifted round to see the other side, they came again, as when the urn once more is shifted round, the first seen shades return. And they were strange to me, as may be tied with vases, to undeep in Phidian lore. How is it, shadows, that I knew ye not? How came ye muffled in so hush a mask? Was it a silent, deep-disguised plot to steal away and leave without a task my idle days? Ripe was the drowsy hour, the blissful cloud of summer indolence benumbed my eyes. My pulse grew less and less. Pain had no sting and pleasure's wreath no flower. Oh, why did ye not melt and leave my sense unhaunted quite of all but nothingness? A third time passed they by, and passing, turned each one the face a moment whilst to me, then faded, and to follow them I burned and ached for wings, because I knew the three. The first was a fair maid, and love her name. The second was ambition, full of cheek, and ever watchful with fatigued eye. The last whom I love more, the more of blame is heaped upon her maiden most unmeek, 
I knew to be my demon poesy. They faded, and forsooth I wanted wings. O folly, what is love, and where is it? And for that poor ambition, it springs from a man's little heart's short fever fits. For poesy, no, she has not a joy, at least for me, so sweet as drowsy noons and evenings steeped in honeyed indolence. Oh, for an age so sheltered from annoy, that I may never know how change the moons or hear the voice of busy common sense. And once more came they by, alas, wherefore? My sleep had been embroidered with dim dreams, my soul had been a lawn besprinkled o'er with flowers and stirring shades and baffled beams. The morn was clouded, but no shower fell, though in her lids hung the sweet tears of May. The open casement pressed a new-leaved vine, let in the budding warmth and throstles lay. O oh, shadows, t'was a time to bid farewell, upon your skirts had fallen no tears of mine. So, ye three ghosts, adieu. Ye cannot raise my head cool-bedded in the flowery grass, for I would not be dieted with praise, a pet lamb in a sentimental farce. Fade softly from my eyes and be once more in mask-like figures on the dreamy urn. Farewell. I yet have visions for the night, and for the day faint visions there is store. Vanish, ye phantoms, from my idle sprite, into the clouds, and never more return. The Solitary Reaper by William Wordsworth Behold her, single in the field, yon solitary highland lass, reaping and singing by herself, Stop here, or gently pass. Alone she cuts and binds the grain, And sings a melancholy strain. Oh, listen, for the veil profound Is overflowing with the sound. No nightingale did ever chaunt More welcome notes to weary bands Of travellers in some shady haunt Among Arabian sands. A voice so thrilling ne'er was heard In springtime from the cuckoo bird, breaking the silence of the seas amongst the farthest Hebrides. Will no one tell me what she sings? Perhaps the plaintive numbers flow for old, unhappy, far-off things and battles long ago. Or is it some more humble lay, familiar matter of today, some natural sorrow, loss, or pain that has been and may be again? Whatever the theme, the maiden sang as if her song could have no ending. I saw her singing at her work, and o'er the sickle bending. I listened motionless and still, and as I mounted up the hill, the music in my heart I bore, long after it was heard no more. London by William Blake I wander through each chartered street Near where the chartered Thames does flow And mark in every face I meet Marks of weakness, marks of woe In every cry of every man 
in every infant's cry of fear, in every voice, in every band, the mind-forged manacles I hear. How the chimney-sweepers cry every blackening church appalls, and the hapless soldier's sigh runs in blood down palace walls. But most, through midnight streets, I hear how the youthful harlot's curse blasts the newborn infant's tear and blights with plagues the marriage hearse. Dejection, an Ode, by Samuel Taylor Coleridge Late, late yestreen I saw the new moon with the old moon in her arms, and I fear, I fear, my master dear, we shall have a deadly storm. From the Ballad of Sir Patrick Spence Part One Well, if the bard was weather-wise who made the grand old ballad of Sir Patrick Spence, this night, so tranquil now, will not go hence unroused by winds that ply a busier trade than those which mold yon cloud in lazy flakes, or the dull sobbing draught that moans and rakes upon the strings of this Aeolian lute, which better far were mute. For lo, the new moon winter bright, and overspread with phantom light, with swimming phantom light o'erspread, but rimmed and circled by a silver thread, I see the old moon in her lap, foretelling the coming on of rain and squally blast. And oh, that even now the gust were swelling and the slant night shower driving loud and fast. Those sounds which oft have raised me, whilst they awed and sent my soul abroad, might now perhaps their wanted impulse give, might startle this dull pain and make it move and live. Part Two a grief without a pang, void, dark, and drear, a stifled, drowsy, unimpassioned grief, which finds no natural outlet, no relief, in word or sigh or tear. O oh, lady, in this wan and heartless mood, to other thoughts by yonder throstle wooed, all this long eve, so balmy and serene, have I been gazing on the western sky and its peculiar tint of yellow-green. And still I gaze, and with how blank an eye, and those thin clouds above, in flakes and bars, that give away their motion to the stars, those stars that glide behind them or between, now sparkling, now be dimmed, but always seen. Yon crescent moon, as fixed as if it grew in its own cloudless, starless lake of blue, I see them all so excellently fair. I see not feel how beautiful they are. Part Three My genial spirits fail, and what can these avail to lift the smothering weight from off my breast? It were a vain endeavor, though I should gaze forever on that green light that lingers in the west. I may not hope from outward forms to win the passion and the life whose fountains are within. Part Four O lady, we receive but what we give, and in our life alone does nature live. Ours is her wedding garment, ours her shroud, and would we aught behold of higher worth 
than that inanimate cold world allowed to the poor loveless ever-anxious crowd. Ah, from the soul itself must issue forth a light, a glory, a fair luminous cloud enveloping the earth, and from the soul itself must there be sent a sweet and potent voice, of its own birth, of all sweet sounds the life and element. Part 5 O pure of heart, thou needest not ask of me what this strong music in the soul may be, what and wherein it doth exist, this light, this glory, this fair luminous mist, this beautiful and beauty-making power. Joy, virtuous lady, joy that ne'er was given save to the pure and in their purest hour, life and life's affluence, cloud at once and shower, joy, lady, is the spirit and the power which wedding nature to us gives in dower a new earth and new heaven, undreamt of by the sensual and the proud. Joy is the sweet voice, joy the luminous cloud, we in ourselves rejoice. And thence flows all that charms or ear or sight, all melodies the echoes of that voice, all colors a suffusion from that light. Part 6 There was a time when, though my path was rough, this joy within me dallied with distress, and all misfortunes were but as the stuff whence fancy made me dreams of happiness. For hope grew round me like the twining vine, and fruits and foliage, not my own, seemed mine. But now afflictions bow me down to earth, nor care I that they rob me of my mirth. But, oh, each visitation suspends what nature gave me at my birth, my shaping spirit of imagination. For not to think of what I needs must feel, but to be still and patient, all I can, and haply by abstruse research to steal from my own nature all the natural man. This was my sole resource, my only plan, till that which suits a part infects the whole, and now was almost grown the habit of my soul. Part 7 Hence, viper thoughts that coil around my mind, reality's dark dream. I turn from you and listen to the wind, which long hath raved unnoticed. What a scream of agony by torture lengthened out that lute sent forth. Thou wind that ravest without, bare crag or mountain tern or blasted tree or pine grove whither woodman never clomb or lonely house long held the witch's home, methinks were fitter instruments for thee. Mad lutinist, who in this month of showers, of dark brown gardens and of peeping flowers, Makest devil's yule, with worse than wintry song, The blossoms, buds, and timorous leaves among. Thou actor, perfect in all tragic sounds, Thou mighty poet, e'en to frenzy bold, What tellest thou now about? Tis of the rushing of an host in rout, With groans of trampled men with smarting wounds, At once they groan with pain and shudder with the cold. But hush! There is a pause of deepest silence, and all that noise as of a rushing crowd with groans and tremulous shudderings, all is over. It tells another tale, which sounds less deep and loud, a tale of less affright, and tempered with delight as Orway's self had framed the tender lay. Tis of a little child upon a lonesome wild, nor far from home, but she hath lost her way 
and now moans low in bitter grief and fear, and now screams loud, and hopes to make her mother hear. Part 8 Tis midnight, but small thoughts have I of sleep. Full seldom may my friends such vigils keep. Visit her, gentle sleep, with wings of healing, and may this storm be but a mountain birth. May all the stars hang bright above her dwelling, silent as though they watched the sleeping earth. With light heart may she rise, gay, fancy, cheerful eyes. Joy lift her spirit, joy attune her voice. To her may all things live, from pole to pole, their life the eddying of her living soul. O simple spirit, guided from above, dear lady, friend devoutest of my choice, thou mayest thou ever, evermore rejoice. Kubla Khan by Samuel Taylor Coleridge or A Vision in a Dream, a Fragment. In Xanadu did Kubla Khan a stately pleasure dome decree, where Alf, the sacred river, ran through caverns measureless to man down to a sunless sea. So twice five miles of fertile ground with walls and towers were girdled round, and there were gardens bright with sinuous rills, where blossomed many an incense-bearing tree. And here were forests ancient as the hills, and folding sunny spots of greenery. But, oh, that deep romantic chasm which slanted down the green hill athwart a cedarn cover, a savage place, as holy and enchanted as e'er beneath a waning moon was haunted by woman wailing for her demon lover. And from this chasm, with ceaseless turmoil seething, as if this earth in fast thick pants were breathing, a mighty fountain momently was forced, amid whose swift half-intermitted burst huge fragments vaulted like rebounding hail, or chaffy grain beneath the thresher's flail. And mid these dancing rocks at once and ever is flung up momently the sacred river, five miles meandering with a mazy motion, through wood and dale the sacred river ran, then reached the caverns measureless to man and sank in tumult to a lifeless ocean. And mid this tumult Kubla heard from afar ancestral voices prophesying war. The shadow of the dome of pleasure floated midway on the waves, where was heard the mingled measure from the fountain and the caves. It was a miracle of rare device, a sunny pleasure dome with caves of ice. A damsel with a dulcimer in a vision once I saw. It was an Abyssinian maid, and on her dulcimer she played, singing of Mount Abora. Could I revive within me her symphony and song, to such a deep delight would win me, that with music loud and long I would build that dome in air, that sunny dome, those caves of ice, and all who heard should see them there, and all should cry, Beware! Beware! His flashing eyes, his floating hair, weave a circle round him thrice, and close your eyes with holy dread, for he on honeydew hath fed, and drunk the milk of paradise. Thanks for joining us. 
Tune in to another session of Just Listen by visiting your Nashville Public Library website at library.nashville.org.